And one of my friends actually signed up with somebody else for a program and she just kept receiving all these sales emails and she was like, Martina, look at this. I guess this woman can still learn something from you because you were so perfectionist about doing things right that it really impacted her experience as a customer. It's like, I already bought from you. Why are you sending me sales emails? In those ways, it's great to have a lot of attention to details and maybe do double check things twice or three times to make sure it goes out the right way. And then there can be sides to perfectionism where it can be you overworking yourself all the time because you are not just double and triple checking things, but you're checking things 10 times or 15 times and it gets to the level where it becomes toxic. You know, to try to get from 99.9% to 100%. So I think a big step for perfectionists is to be okay with 99% or even 95% sometimes. Welcome to the 1000 Day Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol and has spent every waking moment of my life helping other people do the same, like right now. Uh, perfectionism. It's not inherently wrong. It also has its perks too. However, it can be addictive. You can be overworked as a perfectionist and still be productive. Most of the time, perfectionism is driven by our body's chakra. It is responsible for how we function in different areas of our lives. For perfectionism to yield productivity, you should know how to use your chakras well. Don't let perfectionism hinder your success. In this episode, Martina Fink joins us and shares her thoughts on perfectionism. She relates this to addiction and what role perfectionism plays in it. Martina teaches us that labels are not necessary. They should not define who you are and who you want to be. Knowing your desire and working to achieve this will help you overcome your addiction. If you think you are struggling with perfectionism, then this episode is right up your alley. Things we're going to talk about today with Martina, the perfectionist spectrum, perfectionist traits that you'll find in yours truly. We're going to have a little talk about chakras, uh, the guts and expressing your emotions, connecting with others, a little dip into boy and men energy. We have a really wonderful discussion on extroversion and introversion and how extroversion could be a form of protection. We talk about the importance of labels, vulnerability and failure, and fear of success. And if you are ever luckily, lucky enough to take the Strive Method for Addictions uh, workshop, our six-month workshop designed to help you become a conscious human being, um, free of the constraints of your addictions, then you will be luckily, lucky enough to watch a video of Martina talking about perfectionism because she does one of our guest videos. There are two videos in the stuck phase on perfectionism, one where I talk about perfectionism and how it can show up in our life, and one where Martina talks about it. So if you want to learn more about that, get to www.1000daysober.com and you'll find out when our next group coaching program is. Last thing I want to say, if you want to work with Martina and she is a genius at what she does, so I highly recommend it, go to our website, go to the podcast page. You will find Martina's page there. You can download the show notes. You can find all the links to her work, including working with her on one-to-one or taking one of her group coaching packages. So without further ado, I'll shut the hell up, leave you in the capable hands of Martina Fink. Thank you. How's it going, Martina Fink? 
Going well. Thanks, Lee Davy. Cool. How We're going to talk you? about perfectionism, right? Yes. Before we do that, what's, you know, you're in uh, Switzerland. What's going on in Switzerland these days? Well, it was snowing the past two days and it was beautiful and white and peaceful. And now it's raining. Uh. So <laughs> tomorrow will be all brown and ugh. yeah. I've only driven through Switzerland to get to the Alps, I think, once. But I was uh, very drunk and uh, can't really remember much about it, which was most of my life up to the age of 35. Uh, we're going to talk about perfectionism. I thought that I would start out with a statement and then you can, you can poke it and prod it. So let me ask you a question. Is perfectionism a polarized thing? Are we either a perfectionist or not? Or do we kind of like exist along a perfectionist spectrum? So sometimes the behavior shows up and sometimes it doesn't. But in some people who end up with you, it shows up a little bit too much. What, what, where are we on that, do you think? I don't think it's a black or white kind of decision. You are or you're not. There are people who have really high expectations of themselves at work. But when it comes to other things, they really don't care that much. So I, I think it's a very individual thing. But um, it can come in, in whatever intensity. And then it's all about how you manage it. Because there are really good sides of being somebody who pays a lot of attention to details. You know, it's not like perfectionism is a completely toxic, negative thing. It has some really good sides to it. And we have to acknowledge that as well. Uh, so it's a little bit like what you just said then. It, the word that came in my mind was emotions. No, people are like, I don't want to be angry. I don't want to feel ashamed. I don't want to be guilty. And, and it's kind of more like, well, no, nah, don't we just want to dial down the, the volume a little bit on those motions? Like, what would we be without them? And well, guess what you're saying is uh, perfectionism has a good side to it if we can lower the volume because it has a lot of really plus points to it. Could you just touch upon a couple of those plus points? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for example, in my personal experience, since I am a perfectionist slash recovering perfectionist, I pay a lot of attention to details. And for example, with my clients, it is very important for me that they get a really quote unquote perfect customer experience, right? So when someone mm -hmm. signs up with me, they no longer get sales emails for another program I'm launching if they're already working with me, mm -hmm. just like a very random example. And one of my friends actually signed up with somebody else for a program and she just kept receiving all these sales emails. And she was like, Martina, look at this. I guess this woman can still learn something from you because you're so perfectionist about doing things right that it really impacted her experience as a customer. It's like, I already mm -hmm. bought from you. Why are you sending me sales emails? In those ways, it's great to have a lot of attention to details and Maybe do double check things twice or three times to make sure it goes out the right way. And then there can be sides to perfectionism where it can be you overworking yourself all the time because you are not just double and triple checking things, but you're checking things 10 times or 15 times and it gets to the level where it becomes toxic. You know, to try to get from 99.9% .9 to 100%. So I think a big step for perfectionists is to be okay with 99% or even 95% sometimes. Mm. Does, uh, does perfectionism sometimes spill into OCD? I think it can. 
I think it can. I don't personally have experienced OCD in a in a way that it would really like make my life difficult, but I definitely have like very perfectionist ways of organizing my kitchen, of putting things in the dishwasher, you know, like it's not where it gets me to being um obsessive about it, but I do notice how I have certain thinking patterns in my brain that just work a certain way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I asked that because my, my, sis, my sister has OCD mm-hmm. and I can see how perfectionism and OCD are very different, but I could also see how there are traits that are, are present in both, you know, almost like this, mm-hmm. like, um, like I see my sister, obviously a, a compulsion or a fear that something tragic is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. And I guess in perfectionism, you know, you could have the tragedy element of it, but you could also have, oh my God, I'm going to send this email out and it's going to be a spelling mistake in it, right? Which which, which could be tragic yeah. for somebody, right? Mm-hmm. You know, my, my wife, for example, she's, um, yeah, she's she's on that side of things. I'm going to check things, but I'm just kind of like, ah, I'm just fucking get it out there. And if someone tells me there's a spelling mistake, you know, I'll rectify the spelling mistake. But where you've worked with me for quite quite a bit now. Do you see any perfectionist traits in me that we could uh, we could talk about that I could be oh well, I didn't know that and then we could talk about it and then maybe uh, segue into addiction. Mm-hmm. One of the things I noticed in you, and I'm not a hundred percent sure if it's directly related to perfectionism, but one of the things perfectionists do is they always look in the outside for solutions. So they don't think that they have their own solutions because they just basically like fundamentally don't feel like they're enough, right? So they're always looking for things in the outside for other people to give them the solutions and and affirm them and validate them, right? Um, And so what I've seen with you is like, you've been very proactive in asking, what should I do? There's all these different options that I want to go. I want to go in all of these directions. Can you give me your advice? What do you think about it, right? Um, Mm. And like this desire to get validation from others when really the only thing that matters is what you do, that what you do is right for you and feels right for you. Yeah. Do you think think that's, is is it connected to perfectionism or is it more connected to validation and approval? Um, You know, let me give you my, my thoughts on that. And then you can, you can tell me if you think it's around the perfectionism side. It wasn't until I think it was Alex, one of our buddies, she used the word permission slips. Mm-hmm. So, so for the context here, folks, me and Martina and Alex, we're in a, a coaching container together where it's encouraged in the coaching container to ask as many questions as you can. If you think about it, when you're surrounded by high quality, sometimes world-class coaches, you want to be asking as, as many questions as you can and absorbing as much stuff as you can, right? However, what came to light was I ask a shit ton of questions, right? And the feedback that I started at the beginning, people would answer them. But then after a while, people would say a couple of things. One, Lee, you're asking the same question. That came up a lot. And then when people got to know me better, and I think they felt that they could, you know, point out my blind spots, it was like, Lee, you know the answer. Why are you asking questions for that you know the answers to? And Alex used the word permission slips. You're looking for permission to do X, Y, Z. And I clearly saw that there is a great value 
in life that before you ask a question, you stop and you ask yourself why you're asking the question. Mm-hmm. And very often since you started to give me feedback on that, my number of questions that I ask is reduced mark- remarkably because I realize that I am I'm seeking comfort and it comes from a lack of confidence. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was sim- once it was pointed out to me that I had the answers and I had the power, it was like all I had to do was just make a choice. I didn't have to go on a course. I didn't have to hire a mentor. I just had to say to myself, Lee, do you trust yourself to make these decisions? And if you really, really, really don't know something that you could ask somebody. And I'm like, yeah. So then, yeah, I, then I just, and actually since that feedback, I've really gone on the abundance rocket ship and, and everything is just really going great guns in my life. So validation for sure. I'm not sure if it's, I don't know, you, you, you're the expert on this, not me, but I cannot be afraid of making mistakes because I do so much stuff this risky and like without thinking it through and so they i don't know i don't know i think it's more validation more external uh the outside in kind of mentality yeah and and i do think it's it's connected to fear of failure but in a probably in a different way you're doing so many things you're not afraid of failing and like doing something wrong but what you might be afraid of is what what are people going to think if you fail no i'm just thinking Okay, let's I tell you what comes up for me is I get afraid that people will, it's, to me, it's all around morals and ethics mm-hmm. more than whether I will fail. Because like, let's say, let's say I put a group coaching, we got a group coaching program running on 31st of January, Strive Method Prediction. Let's say one person turns up, right? Like who, who am I, who, who do I think is going to call me a failure other than the, per, the one person who's turned up looking for a group experience? So I, nobody's going to, I, I know that nobody's going to tell me I'm a failure. I'm just going to think myself that I'm a failure. Mm. So there's that aspect of it. The other aspect of um, where I get a little bit icky is when somebody judges my character. So if somebody joins my course or coaching program and doesn't feel like they had good service or that they were treated well or that the it worked or that it was mm-hmm. quality or the coaching was of high standard those things bother me incredibly like they they hurt mm-hmm. me like uh, you know in a really but not in a good way like because i know again it's not coming from a good place you know yeah. like i i feel defensive and judgmental initially i have to really go into okay what is martina trying to tell me right now she's giving me a gift i need to look at this and make sure i improve the situation that's not my modus operandi my modus operandi is how can I find a fault in Martina yeah. and push, push and pressure that, that fault and take that shame away from me and put it back onto her? That's like my, my go-to. Mm. Yeah. And, and it's so normal to feel this way because we, we grew up in a society where we're, we don't want to be responsible for, our, for the things that we do wrong. And also we want to be loved. Like that's the ultimate reason why we're on this planet is we want to be loved. We want to love and we want to be loved. So when somebody gives you a negative feedback, it hurts because it's the opposite of love, right? And you have probably poured so much support and love into this person and they're not seeing it. But really what we need to remember is also that 
there can be very like neutral, factual feedback and we all make mistakes and we all can do better, but there can be a level of feedback where it can hurt somebody. And that usually comes from the hurt person. We say hurt people, hurt people. So Mm. however people treat us is always a reflection of them, not so much of us. Mm. And the interesting thing here for you is that your intuition, trusting yourself and your confidence and your self-worth, they are all interconnected. So one of the things I talk about in my practice is the chakras. Have you talked about the chakras in your on your podcast it's, before? It's, it's not something that we talked about on our podcast, no. So um, I'll give you a short explanation. The chakras are energy center that go from the from your tailbone to your crown. So along your spine. And that's kind of where prana or chi or like life force flows through our body. Like that's what gives us the life energy, the vitality that we need every day to operate with our bodies and, and with our energy. And so there are seven different energy centers and every center is responsible for a specific area in our life. For example, the simplest one to explain is the heart chakra. So we have an energy center in our heart space and that's responsible for love and relationships, for you know you being somebody who gives, but also receives energy and love and service and everything from others. So there is this even exchange. There should be an even exchange of giving and receiving, right? So when we are somebody like a people pleaser, which a lot of perfectionists are, we have a tendency to overgive. We're always there for everybody. We don't have boundaries. We, um, we always support and like, that's, you know, me, you know, me, I am one of those people who still need to set some clear boundaries. And so that creates an imbalance in the heart space in this heart chakra, which then causes a blockage in this space in your, in, in your heart space, which means that you uh, are getting out of alignment, out of balance energetically. So maybe you're feeling depleted. Maybe you're feeling emotionally drained. Maybe you're feeling empty. Maybe you're feeling frustrated because you keep giving and you're not receiving enough, right? So that's just to explain one of the centers. The one I want to go into is the second one, which is located in our sacrum, um, in our sacrum, in this, in our lower belly. And that is the space where we store emotional trauma or generally Mm -hmm. emotions. So anybody who experienced trauma in your life, which everybody has, no matter how big or small, right? And we don't process that trauma, then it's stored in our energetic body. And then we also say we have a gut feeling, which is in the same area of our body, which is where the gut is located, right? So the gut feeling gives us this intuitive feeling of, oh, something feels good, something doesn't feel good. Now, somebody who has experienced trauma and hasn't processed the trauma, then has a blockage in that energy center in your lower belly, right? And then therefore you cannot really trust yourself. And therefore you also have low feelings of self-worth. That's why validation from other people becomes so important. And that's why, for example, in your case, you keep asking all these questions because your own tuition isn't strong enough. You don't trust it enough. A lot came up for me then. Yeah, a lot came up, a lot came up for me then. Um, I'll just, I'll scattergun them back at you, right? One of the things that come up for me was my gut. Wow. My gut is the most focused part of my body. 
Like if I'm, if I'm going to talk about any part of my body, it's my gut. Like I, if I worry, if, if back in the day, before I did the elimination diet and everything flattened out, the one thing that I would complain about all the time with my, was my belly and my gut. Yes. I find myself, even when we're talking, my gut tightening, right? My mm-hmm. stomach is tightening. And then, and then I'll, I'll realize that actually, I don't know, like 30, 40 minutes could go by and I've been in this kind of like tight space in my gut. I have lots and lots of issues with my gut biome, right? I mean, linked to antibiotic use when I was younger and alcohol and all that kind of stuff. But I have lots of gut issues health-wise. So there's all that kind of stuff. The other thing that I, I, I thought about was the power of stories. So as human beings, we are storytellers supreme. That's what makes us like the apex kind of like king of the world, right, of all the animal kingdom. And we can use stories to really positive effect. Me and you do that in our business in order for us to help change people's lives. But I just thought of something is the, the stories that we create to create a veneer of confidence, mm-hmm. which you tell so effectively that you even believe it yourself. Yeah. So what I'm thinking is you're pointing out um, how I operate is, what if, not what if, this has definitely happened, that you go 100 mile an hour putting out content that you know is not as tip-top as it can be. Your book is not as good as it can be. The podcast with Martina is not as good as it can be. The blog posts are not as good as it can be. Is that a protection against if it was as good as it could be and somebody pointed out that it was shit? Holy fuck, right? But if you know it's not as good as it could be, then if someone says, oh, your podcast is shit, you can tell yourself the story that you know it's not as good as it should be and that everything Mm -hmm. is okay. Almost like I'm deliberately playing my BNC game because I can say I have a really good BNC game, but I'm afraid to go to the A game, right? So there was that part of it. And last night, me and Liza were having a conversation and she, she was watching... Jessica Amos does a video on boundaries in the Strive Method for Addictions in the Ready Phase. And Liza was watching it last night. She was going, this is really good. You should watch this because you don't have no boundaries, right, to me. And I'm like, boundary-less. I love being boundary-less, right? But that in itself is a story. It's a protection mm-hmm. mechanism that says you can't criticize me about my boundary estate because I am loving it and I am owning it. That is an mm-hmm. upper limit problem. I'm afraid to have boundaries because if I have boundaries, I don't know. I feel like I'm a little bit kind of constrained. And then all of a sudden we come into this validation issue. So yeah, feel free to jump back in yeah. on those kind of things. There's a lot going on here. So let's talk about the first one, which was um, your gut. It actually doesn't surprise me that you <laughs> struggle with that. Um, another thing that's truly important about the gut and, and the sacral chakra is our gut is the organ for our body to let go the wastes that we don't need in our physical body, right? So a lot of people with low self-worth issues and trauma experiences have digestive disorders from, you know, IBS, constant diarrhea, constant constipation, whatever it is. And it is because you're not letting go of something. So your physical body is struggling to let go of the physical waste. And it is because your energetic body is struggling to let go of the emotional waste, right? 
So whether that's holding on to a trauma that you haven't processed or emotional baggage or a relationship issue, or even just, you know, low self-worth issues, which always come from some sort of trauma, because I have never, I have yet to meet a baby that is born and is not self-confident. Like that does not exist, right? Every yeah, baby's I got a like, four-year-old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and it changes that usually the confidence issues in a healthy child, I would say, gets impacted by the time they go to school or kindergarten or somewhere, you know, around that age. But before that, a healthy child is just like, "Hey, I'm hungry. I need food." Hey, I'm crying. I need a hug. Like they don't care about what you think of them. They're just confident and do whatever they need. And then over the course of our lives, we get all of these experiences that influence how we see ourselves and view ourselves. And so then we hold on to those experiences because as a society, we also learn that it's not safe to express emotions and that it, we should be happy all the time. And that the goal of life is to be successful and to make money and be happy. Mm. And being happy, which leads to the second thing where you were talking about story, you know? And so we are, most of the time we are wearing a mask because we want to be someone we're not. We're pretending to have it all together. We're pretending we don't have problems, right? We're pretending mm-hmm. we are um, healthy and, and we have this perfect life when really on the inside, we're probably heartbroken or sad or frustrated or disappointed. And we have this emotion that we won't, don't want to address because addressing emotions is you're giving up control. A lot of people, perfectionists want to be in control all the time. And that means, okay, let me wear a mask and control my emotions. I want to cry. Let me put on my mask. So I don't need to cry. And when we do that, we are truly avoiding what is actually there, which is a feeling. And a feeling is nothing dangerous unless we attach meaning to it. Mm. So if we say being angry is a bad thing, so we don't want to be angry, we avoid it. What happens, it just gets stored in your sacral chakra. It just gets kind of other layers of, you know, trauma and and emotional baggage gets kind of clumped up in your body because you're not expressing it. And therefore, it's so much easier to put on the mask because you are still in control. I'm just putting on the mask. I'm controlling my feelings because what if I don't wear this mask and I allow the feeling to come up? What if I get really crazy and like throw a plate on the wall? Like, I don't know. People are so scared of what might happen if emotions come up or when we allow emotions come up and nothing can really happen if you don't judge yourself. Mm, And that, and that, um, that there is the primary reasons that people drink alcohol. And I'm, and I'm talking about the primary reasons that people listening to this podcast drink alcohol is their emotions get to a state that is amplified to trigger the desire to drink alcohol in order to get rid of that emotion, whether yeah. that, you know, whatever that emotion is. So, yeah, super important to understand this aspect of, I think it's in, yeah, in conversations with God. You know, like thought is the beginning of all creations, then comes words, then comes actions, and then comes your feelings. And I think it's Joe Dispenza then who ties that all together and says, you know, once we give a thought and an action a an emotional stamp of approval, your body or your brain is like, okay, I that is what I'm going to remember. Like, I am going to remember this rule. 
because it's now laden with emotion. Like this memory is definitely, it's going to be like a, you walk into a bar, I'm going to give you the chemicals that you need because you've now, you've basically, it's almost like, um, it's like ingredients, isn't it? It's like, you know, I get green chef delivered to me at the moment. It's great. Like the food comes, it's in boxes. It's all pre-done. I could just like cook it and follow the, the instructions. It's like our memories, our little green chef packages. And, and, and we know yeah. like, like tonight now it's going to be Japanese vegetable fritters. Japanese vegetable fritters are going to release a certain amount of neurochemicals in my body to make me feel good. It's mm-hmm. good you know, like me. So it's like when you walk into a bar, if we've told ourselves that, you know, through thought, words, actions, and feelings, that this is going to be the most incredible, beautiful, nurturing, connecting, incredible, amazing experience, then the, the body's going to want to give us that neuro, neurochemical uh, signature that matches it and then store that. And the next time we walk into a bar, it knows the recipe. I got this guy, I, I talk about this client of mine because uh, he's a bit of a perfectionist, actually, so we can help him if he's listening to this. He's, um, he's actually going through this at the moment where he's, he's got to like 30 days without drinking for the first time in, in so long. And what he's done is he's removed himself from the environment mm-hmm. completely. He's, like, he's gone from like one country to another country to escape his environment and the people that he hangs around with, right? And he said that the other day he was on a boat, and everybody on the boat was drinking. And his recipe that the subconscious pulls out is we need to drink now to enjoy ourselves. But there's a, there's a disconnect because through my program, that recipe doesn't exist anymore. He mm-hmm. has a new one that says, no, I can communicate and have fun without drinking. And then he said to me, I realized that the fight, the fight for the mic that goes on in a community where everybody's drinking is intolerable for me. He said everybody was cutting me off. Nobody was listening to me. And I walked to the edge of the boat and just stared out into the oceans thinking, what the fuck am I doing here? What am I doing here? You know? Now, that doesn't mean he should drink to join in with the other people. It means he needs to look at that situation and go, holy shit, drinking is disconnecting because everybody is being self-centered here and I can't connect with these people. So I need to find, I need to find people who don't drink and really have a good time and boom now he's going to create a new recipe and the old one it doesn't disappear it just gets pushed further back at the back of our memory i don't know if you wanted Mm -hmm. to comment comment on that at all yeah i I think um he it sounds like he's ready for another boat (laughs) yeah 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 get off the speedboat and get on a little fishing boat he got on the wrong boat. So, and that's, I mean, first of all, congratulations for that step, you know, of realizing, well, I have, I have been without alcohol for 30 days and I'm noticing how other people are behaving and how I used to behave. And that now within 30 days, something has changed in me where I'm, I'm craving connection mm. and I'm not getting it here. So I need to go somewhere else because that's truly what I desire that's the heart chakra speaking, by the way. Right, that's, the, right. that's the energy center that craves and, and that wants to receive, wants to give, but also receive. And so he notices what I desire to receive. I'm not getting that on this boat with people who are drinking. The other thing I want to say is that we are always the average of the five people we spent the most time with. So if I started going to a bar where everybody gets drunk, let's say I would go there every week, I would naturally become that 
kind of person because I surround myself with these kind of people who do these mm. kind of things. So if you want to create different and healthier habits, you need to look for the people who are also doing different and healthier habits. And that's mm. probably why your program is so successful because everybody wants to change and is supporting each other with, yes, we can talk about the same struggles, but we can also talk about what we desire. And so you create a new environment around yourself that then creates it like you are becoming the average of a new level in life. And this is where the perfectionist in you can stop you from getting on the other boats because the perfectionist in you wants you to be liked by everybody. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden you, you think, and this is so important, folks, you have created a perception that everybody likes you when you drink. Mm -hmm. What this guy is learning, nobody even fucking sees him when they've yeah. had a drink. So how could they? How could they think he's a great guy? Nobody gives a shit. He could. He could have jumped or He could have been eaten by a great white shark, and nobody would have even noticed he'd gone. <laughs> Yet he thinks when he drinks, he is like the the soul, life and soul of the party. And for me, yeah. I believe that is so tragic. That's so tragic that we are lost in that kind of illusion. And, and all this storytelling that allows us to wear so many masks that we really don't know who we are. And one of, you know, I, on our group coaching call on Monday, uh, Tony was saying, um, well, yeah, I asked Tony to tell a story, you know, we've been doing more and more stories in our coaching call. And um, he said something along the lines of, uh, he's in like a WhatsApp group with all his buddies, right? And he, he, he wrote something profound or, you know, with deep meaning or something. And someone said, um, ah, fuck off your tosser, right? And I said, how did that make you feel? And um, at first, he just dodged the question. Now, now most strivers do because yes. it, we're, not, we're not used to expressing how we feel. So then I'm like, no, Tony, how did you feel? And I listed a load of emotion words. And he said, angry and hurt. And I said, well, did you tell him? about that he said no I said why not he said well I do the same to him so then I said to the group is this boy energy or is this man energy and everyone's like boy energy right so I'm like you know Tom do you want to be a boy or do you want to be a man so I want to want to be a man well guess what if you're going to hang around with boys you're going to be a boy and if you hang around with men you're going to be a man and at the moment because you're hanging around with boys you're behaving like a boy and you're getting that back so you're stuck in that kind of that cycle and I think there's a link here. Well, let's see. This other guy I'm talking about, dude, who was on the boat, one of the things he said to me was, I used to think I was an extrovert, Lee, and now I think I'm an introvert. And I hear so many addicts say that when they get through it. Is there, is there something there with these two stories? Like this guy wanting to be in the boy energy, and I call him extroversion energy. This guy thinking he's an extrovert and now suddenly think he's an introvert and perfectionism. Is, there, is that tied in there somewhere? Is there something there? I'm not sure, but I actually want to challenge the boy and the men energy because how you were explaining it, it sounds like boys are um, very direct and just say what, it, like, don't really care and just say what they think. And men are like, allow themselves to feel. And I think that in itself is the biggest problem in today's world for boys, men, and girls, women, because mm. we all growing up, we learn to not have emotions, to not allow emotions, to not cry. Like my neighbor, the, the oldest, she's seven. She just got into school this year. And one day she was crying in school because something happened and the teacher told her not to cry. 
Like, don't ever cry again in school. Mm. And an experience like that for a child is very traumatic. So every time this girl, and luckily she has parents that allow her to cry, but this one experience at school is going to influence her behavior moving forward that every time she she would has the desire to cry in public in her class, she will probably put on a mask and pretend that she's okay because her teacher otherwise would say something bad to her. Mm. And the same happens with boys. Like we always think girls are the ones, you know, really suffering, but boys are suffering so much because they're being taught not to feel, they're being taught not to cry. They're being taught by the media, by the movies, by the games they play, right? To be strong and to be violent. And and they're subconsciously programmed that this is what they should be. And therefore, as you grow up, as a man, you become older and you head into addictions because you have never learned how to express emotions. And Mm. by the way, I'm experiencing the same thing with my clients who are you know, really hardworking and executives and managers, and they don't allow themselves to cry either. So it's not even a men, woman kind of issue. It's no, really just it's not gender space, yeah, gender neutral. Yeah. Yeah. Happening in our society that I feel, yeah, we just need to allow ourselves to feel, and there is nothing wrong about it ex- again, except the moment you attach meaning to it. And there's actually a documentary. I don't know if you've seen it before. It's called The Mask You Live In or something like that. It's no. about um, it's about this exact issue of men uh, growing up and, and having to, quote unquote, man up and be strong. And, and then how that kind of leads into a lot of issues with violence and, and addictions and drugs and alcohol and mm. all these kind of things. So I think you would actually love it. I will. Um, yeah. So we never learn how to express emotions. And when somebody asks you, how are you feeling? You're like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. All good. A lot of people don't even know how to say something else than feeling good or bad. Or fine. Right. Fine. fine. Or not too bad. Mm. (laughs) Or I, or I can't complain. Like those are the things most people say, but if we go deeper than that, like the question, how are you has become so meaningless. Mm. Right. That we don't, we get it asked 20 times a day. We never really ask it, answer it, honestly. So when you, when, when you ask your clients, how are you, how does something make you feel? They're going to say their default is going to be, oh, like either avoiding it or just saying, it's all good. I'll like tomorrow I'll feel better or like avoiding to even express what is going on and having the feeling that they should get over that as quickly as possible. Whereas what's really needed in that moment is the space to feel it. Mm. And we, and we, cause I put myself in this as well as a, as a, you know, a, a constant practice. We're not consciously trying to divert the question. Like if someone, if someone says it, like I'm the, I'm the, the one who's always saying, it. I'm always saying, how did it make you feel? And I don't, I don't think they're dodging the question. It's just their automatic response from the subconscious part of them yes. is just is descriptive and not in an emotion. And I'm I'm wondering if this um, like I always grew up thinking I was either an extrovert or an introvert, and you couldn't be both. Now now obviously I'm aware that we slip into extroversion and introversion, you know, dependent on the variety of different circumstances. I wonder if extroversion is a is a way of protecting you from feeling from not expressing your feelings 
because you're, you're so boisterous, you're so alive, you so want to do bish, bosh, bish. And so you're not really getting yourself into those kind of situations. Well, I don't know. I might be into uh, linear here in my thinking around this, you think? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I wouldn't. I don't know any research about this, so we would probably have to look up how many percentage of perfectionists are introverts versus extroverts. But the main difference that I know from introverts to extroverts is that introverts recharge the most in solitude and extroverts recharge the most in company with other people. So for example, my sister is the complete opposite of me. I love being by myself alone, journaling, doing things, you know, I, I have no problem being in quarantine by myself all year. Although I would love to have some social contacts here and there, but it is absolutely no problem for me Mm. because I know I, I enjoy my own company as an introvert and I recharge when I'm by myself. And my sister is very extrovert and she can meet with 15 people a week. And that will make her so happy to be with other people. And for me, that would feel like completely overwhelming. So there's like, I think that's just a, an, a way of our personality that we are. I don't necessarily think that makes me a perfectionist. I can totally see how both kinds of people can avoid emotions. So even if I'm an introvert, I can be an introvert and scroll through social media and watch Netflix all day and distract myself with other things. Just because I'm an introvert doesn't mean that I'm actually sitting down and facing my emotions, right? Because I've been an introvert my entire life and mm. I didn't know how to do this work until just a couple of years ago. Mm. This this is, um, what we're touching upon here is like tremendously important. This is something that I need to include in the Stride Method for Addictions. Because as you're talking to me, I'm thinking here that I need to deepen my knowledge on this topic that I'm thinking on my um, uneducated like brain right now, that if you are an extrovert and you are used to recharging yourselves through the company of others, and then so you party uh, and, and you because you're drinking, right? You're, you're here 1,000 days sober. And now all of a sudden you can't have connection to those people because they drink and you're not feeling connected to them. You've lost your ability to recharge and there's a problem there that your soul could die, I guess, right? If you are somebody who recharges, um, if you're an introvert and you recharge in kind of like solitude, then you are more likely to drink on your own than you mm-hmm. are to. So it's almost like we need to help the extrovert to find a different crowd to recharge or find a way of falling in love with, with solitude to recharge and to find the, and the help the introvert to find a healthier way of recharging through solitude and finding a, a community to charge into in terms of that kind of energy. I've never thought of it like that before. That's really powerful. Yeah, that's, that's really beautiful. I think that could be helpful. Like you could even help organize I don't know, group meetings or something where extroverts can get together and have a good time together. And for example, for me, I love human connections, but I love one-on-one connection more than if I'm in a group of two or three, it really stresses me out. So Mm. maybe there could be a way for you to somehow facilitate or have a platform where people can, you know, connect with people in however way they want 
because I don't think an extrovert will become an introvert just because they stop drinking. It, it could be like a phase that they're going through in the process of quitting addiction, but I don't think the, the entire personality will suddenly change. No, I, I agree. I think what happens is you are, you are forced. Mm-hmm. Let me just t- t- talk about my own, um, my, my own story so I don't get too uh, subjective, right? So how did I experience it? So throughout my entire life, I was a quote-unquote polarized extrovert. I mean, you, you can feel that out of me in our groups, I guess. Like I'm, I'm loud, I'm boisterous, I'm, I'm trying to crack jokes all the time. I'm, I'm, my, my wife says I just kind of like overpower her. She has to say, overwhelm her. She has to say, Lee, just fucking, leave me alone. Like you're just too fucking much. You're jacking the box energy. And I guess I never realized that that is how I would get charged, right? And then mm-hmm. I stopped drinking and I'm like, I don't want to hang around with these fucking people. And I think what happened to me was I, I, I then started to fall into solitude and to go, oh, what's this like? And I liked it. Yeah. So, so because I liked it, it helped me to stop drinking. And I think yes. some people, they, they go, oh, I, they're not even thinking about the process, which is why something like uh, Stride Method for Addictions is important in a community, is you, you realize, oh, I don't want to hang around with these people anymore. And then you're forced into solitude, not trying to choose solitude, and you're not really experimenting with it. And you've got all these feelings and thoughts of loneliness, disconnection, outside in thinking, everybody, I need Mm -hmm. people to validate me. So you're not really giving solitude a chance because because of all these kind of stories that are running around in our head. So that's definitely somewhere where we can, I mean, we do help people with that. In, in our overarching theme, but not specifically focusing on this extroversion, introversion question. So I know that the client I'm talking about right now, for example, I know from my conversation with him that he's thinking to himself, oh, I'm an introvert because I don't like hanging around with these people. But I think what he's missing and I haven't picked up in the coaching is, no, you, you, really, you really need people to charge. That's how you've been doing it. We just need to find you more people. And we can also, at the same time, grow a healthier uh, life of solitude for you. Yeah. And we often want to put labels on everything. So I'm an introvert. I'm an extrovert. Yeah. In the end, it doesn't really matter. Mm. Are, are you introvert or extrovert in this situation? Does it matter? No, it doesn't. What matters is what you desire. So do you desire to be around people who are healthy and uplifting? Yes. No. Do you desire to be alone? Yes. No. Like he will know. And that's exactly, that's the gut feeling again, that we need to strengthen, right? That intuition of knowing that you will know what you need if you allow yourself to listen. And whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, I think healing can only happen when you create space. So especially if you're somebody who loves being around people, you will also need to have some sort of solitude to actually connect with yourself and heal. So however you want to do that, you will need that space and time for yourself in solitude on a regular basis in order to proceed and progress in your healing. Good stuff. When I think about perfectionism, two words pop into my head, vulnerability mm-hmm. and failure. I see people who are absolutely terrified to just do stuff because they're afraid of failure, which is you know they're not they're not they're not ready to be vulnerable do you do you see that in your work and and if so how does it show up and how do you help them yeah so the vulnerability is kind of what we talked about earlier like the willingness to actually share emotions right and mm. and to to be open to you know just say you know things are 
fucked up right now. <laughs> I don't mm. know what I'm doing and it's hard. Mm. And I see that a lot because everybody's wearing masks and mm. pretending to have it all together and pretending to be happy when on the inside, they're usually often crumbling. At the same time, I totally see this fear of failure. So what I see a lot in my clients is that they they would love to do something else, but they're afraid of failing, but they're actually even more afraid of not being able to do it perfectly. So they don't even start. Okay. So they're not even starting. So the failure is like way, it's not even happening because they're not even starting. Exactly. So um, they're holding, they're holding themselves back. They're staying stuck where they are because clearly this is also where it's safe, right? They've Mm. they've been there forever. It's been comfortable. It's been safe. So having to do something that I truly desire. So let's say in my clients, for example, that's often they they have these high level profile jobs that they, it's not that they hate them. They kind of like them. They like the, the level of responsibility and the things they do. And it's a little bit of an ego thing too, of like, I have this job and this is what's in my CV, you know? But maybe they have like this tiny little desire in their heart of doing something that has a meaning. So one of my clients, for example, would love to do more videos with messages that are important in life around different ethnicities or religions and like kind of, you know, creating something that actually has meaning and touches people's hearts. And she's been wanting to do that, but since she's always busy at her work, she doesn't allow herself to create the space for that. And so they're often holding themselves stuck where they are right now because it's safe. And I always say it's quote unquote boring because you're not growing, you're not getting anywhere. It's not lighting you up. Right. Mm. But it's just safer instead of, of taking the step. What if I, what if I quit and then, you know, do this one thing that my heart, that lights my heart up. And then I can't do it perfectly enough, or it's not going to work out the way I want it to be, or I won't be able to pay my bills from it. So I'd rather just stay here um, and, and stay stuck. So I don't think there is specifically a fear of failing when they do things. It's more, I think it's more the fear of what if it actually goes right and I will actually be happier afterwards, you know? So you're talking about the, f- the polar opposite of feel it, f- fear of success. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like when Gay Hendricks talks about his upper limit problems, it's the problems are all about joy and success. Yeah. Like if I do this and it's going to be success. And, and again, it's linked to vulnerability, isn't it? It's like if I do this thing and I'm really successful at it, what are the consequences of that joy and celebration? Especially if you're it's a perfectionist, also- you know? Yeah. I, I, and I believe it's also often connected to feeling guilt and shame around the happiness because most people are not doing these things. Like most people have a dream, but they're never getting started. Right. So if you get started and you're actually happier than other people, so it's it's almost like a fear of outshining other people too and being Mm. happier than other people, then I'm going to, I'm going to feel guilty for having this beautiful, what I call glowing life when others don't. Right. Why would I deserve this glowing, beautiful life? And they don't but I cannot continue living in misery just Mm. because of that fear, right? If I never stepped in to my true calling, I wouldn't be talking with you and we wouldn't be reaching people around the topics that both of us teach. Mm. And that is eventually making so much of a difference, whether it's if I had stayed at Apple and was managing a store, 
Mm. All of you listening to this who sabotage your sobriety, um, timestamp 50 to 53 minutes and listen to that again because, you know, I'll give you a, I'll give an example without mentioning any names. There was one beautiful striver who got to like three or four months without drinking, like her personal best. And she, everything in life was so amazing. She was coming on Striver a day. This is great. This is fantastic. Everything is wonderful. And then she drank. And then in the interrogation of why did this happen, what came up was I didn't feel like I deserved to be mm. that joyful. And I, and I think what happened was her husband, why she's like, she's flying. Her husband's, yeah. his husband's not. And she must be thinking, what is he going to think of me? Mm. What, what, you know, and then, and obviously things are going on here. As she's flying, it, in the way that I know men, there's some shame thing going on here, particularly if he's still drinking or he's not he's not growing and involving himself and he sees his woman kind of grow, like fear of like, is she going to leave me? Is she going to find me unsatisfactory in this relationship, et cetera? So she's kind of going and she's looking down and she's like, I need to go down here because if I keep going, what if I don't like this guy? What if I, what if I need another guy? What if he doesn't fulfill me? What if this life doesn't fulfill me? What if I need to get a, a job that she's going to stretch me. Holy shit, that's too much. I don't want that much joy. Let me drink. And you're straight back down there again in your comfort mm-hmm. where you think that, you know, and then the cycle starts again and again and again. So like breaking through those upper limits, like so important. And it got me thinking when you were saying that, Martina, was like how, you know, in a way we, we could take me, for example, like I know that I have lost myself in work as a way of not dealing with my upper limit problem with my children. Mm-hmm. So I, I run, I, I have ran away, not now I'm fucking well into it now, but I have run away from my children because what happens if I feel so much more joy and celebration with my kids? Like, what does that mean? It means that the work, the thing that I think like I need to be spending my time, I can't do that anymore. Right. So it's an issue. So it's almost like you could use perfectionism as an excuse subconsciously to run away from a really important area of your life so you could say to yourself i need i need to do my work but it, everything needs to be perfect so i need to spend more and more and more time doing it and that conveniently means i don't i cannot be a mom or i cannot be a dad do you see that yeah, absolutely mm. i see the overworking piece everywhere in my clients right. of course from like the point where the first thing they do in the morning is check their emails the last thing they do is like scroll through their inbox laying in bed. So it's that false perception or expectations that you have of yourself of like, I have to be working because if I'm not working, I'm bad at what I do. And what are people going to think of that? But it's also the sabotaging behavior of like, what if I actually didn't work and Mm. just sat on the couch and did nothing. But since I have this long to-do list and all these projects going on, I cannot just sit on the couch because I was would feel guilty. Or if you have a rule that isn't getting the attention, right? You're not, you're not used to spending time with your partner. So what feels safe is just working all the time. And it's almost like the comfort zone is like what's around you, right? And working less would mean you're leaving your comfort zone, but then you have this rubber band that keeps pulling you back all the time. Like, no, come back. It's safe here. Right. Mm. And so therefore we, we fall back into these habits of just working all the time because we're, we don't know what to do with ourselves if we had more time. It's uh, I have this client and it, it's a, it's a sex thing around perfectionism. So it's like, I have to drink 
to have, I have to drink to have sex. I need to be hard. I need to like last like fucking hours. And if I don't do those things, I'm a complete and utter failure and I won't even go there. And what I see is an upper limit problem of what would the joy and love and intimacy and connection and eroticism be like if you didn't drink? It would be magnified 100x. If you think sex is like your number one thing, this guy's like sex is my number one thing. So if you were to actually amplify all those things without drinking, you would get what you want. But to get what you what you want, you've got to start drinking, which is a massive upper limit problem. You've got to be, you've got to be able to go into bed with a woman, be limp, and be vulnerable enough to just deal with that shit, and and to trust that the woman's not going to go ha 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 that she's actually going to have in that moment some compassion for you, you know, if you if you're picking the right the right woman, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, right. So, and, and again, it's yeah. like an upper limit problem. And he, and he keeps saying to me, I'm a perfectionist. I'm a perfectionist. That's what he keeps saying to me all the time around this sex issue, you know? Interesting. We want to achieve anything differently or create anything differently in our lives. We need to do something we've never done. Mm. I always say what got you here won't get you there. So if you want to get there, quote unquote, there, whatever that goal is, then you need to do something differently because obviously what ha- what you have been doing got you where to where you are right now, which mm. is not quite yet where you want to be. Courage, man. Mm, yes. We have courage. to have courage and break out of, of the habits of what we're doing and, and try things differently and just know that even if we, I don't really believe in failure. I believe there's only feedback, not failure. Yeah, but um, really if you believe in failure, like, Nobody has ever achieved anything without failing once or twice or five times or 50 times. Yeah. And, and your, I, I imagine the more that you succeed, whatever your metric is, the more you have to quote unquote fail. Right. So like, if you, if you really want to achieve your dreams, then you've got to fail a fuck ton. Right. Or you've got, you've got to get into situations where you're getting a lot of feedback. So you need, you need to be vulnerable to accept that feedback. And one of the things I love about you, Martina, you know, like is you're, you're, you're not, you're not afraid to give me, um, to point out my blind spots, which is feedback, right. From a place of loving kindness. And I know you like that as a coach, which is why I would love working with you. And I advocate everybody else does as well, you know? So it's been beautiful talking to you. I've really appreciated it. Folks, if you want to work with this wonderful person, Martina Fink, because I have no idea when this podcast is going out because I am clueless, go to www.1000daysober.com. As somebody smarter than me would have created a podcast page, you will get all of Martina's links to social media, to all her work. I know she does group coaching programs. Occasionally, she does personal coaching. Um, She does a a shit ton of stuff and she gives out more free stuff than anybody I know. So get over to her site, get onto her email list and, uh, and check her out. Martina, it's been absolutely beautiful. Any last words you want to say before I chop you off? Hmm. Last word is just that please remember that you are enough the way you are right now, that whatever you desire in your life, you can get it, you can do it and you don't need anything or anyone Um, Of course, we can always use help, but you are enough. And yeah, just keep going. Get your glow up. Let perfectionism (laughs) no longer stand in your way. And yeah, create that life for yourself that you dream of. 
Thank you, Martina. Until next time, yeah? Take care. Thank you. If you want to be somebody that doesn't drink alcohol or recover from any other addiction, improve your relationship with yourself and those that you love, or just want to learn to live a more conscious life, then here is what we can do to help you at 1000 Days Sober. Number one, we have a Strive subscription service, okay? So you pay a monthly fee, you come and join us, you come into our community, you get access to all our Marco Polo groups, you get access to our Kajabi group, you get access to uh, content that you will not see in the public sphere, mainly by yours truly, but by other people in my network are friends as well. What else do you get? You get access to a weekly coaching call with myself. So you can get coaching, a one-on-one coaching with me on that weekly coaching call. And you get money off various different workshops and uh, invites to lots of other free stuff. So that's our subscription service. You could do group coaching programs, okay? Right now we have two group coaching programs, both called the Strive Method. The first one is addictions, okay? And they last for six months. The relationship course also lasts for six months. We've got Strive Method for Addictions, Strive Method for Relationships. There are workshops, okay? Or you can work with me personally one-on-one, okay? You can work with me personally one-on-one. And if you want to get involved in any of that, then just head to www.1000daysober.com and you will find everything that's going on there, okay? We have pages there on the website, which will direct you in the right place and how to get hold of me, including a workshop space there as well. We're always running workshops, so you can sign up for those as well. Last but not least, if you do love this show and it has changed your life and you want to change the lives of somebody else, tell somebody about it and rate and review it in your podcast provider. I would really appreciate that. If you want to just reach out to me, ask me a question, just email me, 1kdaysober.com, at gmail.com. Much love, everybody. Bye. Bye.